to what we have found one of the most important and valuable assets a company has when they get into trouble is time. And if we come in, you know, there's sort of the, I have this inverted U curve where it says it's a little too, way too early, a little too early at the top of the U just right. And then you start descending on the other side where it's a little too late, way too late. Welcome to the Happy Dog Soundbites podcast. Today's guest is Scott Eisenberg. Scott Eisenberg works at Amherst Partners. Scott was formerly educated in accounting and finance, but now he runs uh, the advisory firm for Amherst Partners. And let's just learn all about it right now. Scott, welcome to the show. Good morning, Ryan. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. And let us know about yourself. Can you tell me more about you and about your business? Sure. Yeah. And as you said, I um, started uh, my career as a CPA and had an MBA in finance as well. And early on, um, morphed into the transactional side of the business and um, went to a uh, spent eight years with Deloitte and Touche. My last couple of years, I was in their cor- national corporate finance group. And then I uh, went to a small subordinated debt fund where we were investing in companies that were had unique growth opportunities. And then we uh, sold that off and we started Amherst. And Amherst is um, just in a couple months will be 26 years old. And as a firm, we do two things. We do traditional turnaround work, restructuring work, where we will be a court-appointed receiver, a financial advisor, chief restructuring officer in you know, the, I'll say the traditional uh, turnaround suite of skills. And then we also have um, a group within our firm that does investment banking, which is mostly sell side merger and acquisition work, selling uh, healthy companies. So that, our firm breaks into those two units. Okay. And well, congratulations on 26 years. That's quite the achievement coming up. And um, can you tell us a little bit more about how you'd do save those troubled companies and return them to solvency? Sure. And Ryan, what we have found, one of the most important and valuable assets a company has when they get into trouble is time. And if we come in, you know, there's sort of the, I have this inverted U curve where it says it's a little too way too early, a little too early at the top of the U just right. And then you start descending on the other side where it's a little too late, way too late. And the probability of success in a turnaround is highly correlated with at what point do we get involved. And as I like to joke, I came in too early, never said a turnaround consultant. (laughs) And – and the, the other element is, oh, it wasn't as bad as I thought it was. Never said a turnaround consultant. <laughs> it, and so when you take those two premises at the onset of all this, that's what really tr- is so critical. And I, I, I hate to say this, and apologies to those who have ever um, 
fought cancer. But I, I, I kind of use the analogy of this is somewhat akin to what an oncologist is someone coming in with a very small lump that was just got that got detected very early, or someone coming in really late. And that's you know, when you put that analogy, that's fairly similar to the situations that we find ourselves in. And hmm. is the hole so deep that it, you don't have an ability to do a lot, or are you getting in early enough? And so the first thing you want to understand when you get involved is, is in the turnaround is how severe are the problems. Presumably there's going to be a cash shortfall or a cash hole at some point. Yeah, so on the, um, the ones where we have a lot of runway, let's start that. Those are the easy ones. You, you start looking, okay, where's the boat leaking? And look to say, where can you stop the bleeding? Because usually the first thing you want to do the, 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 is you want to ultimately get cost to a break. You want to get to a break-even operation. And usually the quickest thing, qu- the quickest path to that is is through reducing some costs. Okay. And that allows you then ultimately to start focusing on strategy for how, what do we do to drive revenue? What can we do to grow the business? Are there unprofitable operations we can shed? You know, maybe you have a, maybe you have um, you know, ten locations. Let's say you're you're a um, manufacturing company. You might have one plant that's a loser, and maybe you need to shut that plant down or sell that plant. We have one product line that's a loser, and maybe you need to address that one product line. So. Again, when you have when you have when you're talking months to address that, that you you have time to start working on those issues and to address the uh, the problems. Um, and the latter, when it's when you when you literally are out of money in days or a week or two, even if you were to try to you know reduce costs right away, you can't reduce costs immediately. So you have to go into a different crisis mode, and mm-hmm. And depending on how deep the situation is and how severe the situation is, I mean, at that point you got to start start taking different you know, different approaches. And the the one thing that most people don't fully appreciate when you're going through a turnaround is you have one really important vendor, and that's your lender. They provide cash. And so if they don't provide cash, if that vendor cuts you off, you, you really lose your ability to operate. So to me, what, a, um, what virtually every turnaround professional will do is make sure that they have the cash to operate, make sure that the bank's involved as part of the solution and not part of the problem. And that sometimes runs very much against what a business owner is thinking. They're thinking the bank is the enemy. I don't have. To, I don't want to tell them this. I, you know, they're maybe not as transparent as they um, maybe want to be or should be, because they're concerned that the bank will cut them off. Well, the fact is, the bank's going to cut you off if, at a certain point, regardless, and mm-hmm. it's, you're much better working with them to help get to a solution. 
Yeah. And, and I'm going to back up a little bit because you you talked about there is this uh, basically reverse U shape that you could be on, uh, you know, I call a bell curve on one side or the other side. And do you ever get to the point where you're introduced so far gone, so far late that um, using your other analogy that that's almost a terminal situation that no matter what you do, it's just we're going to have to, we're going to have to do bankruptcy sell, just get rid of what we can. I mean, is it, does that ever happen where you come in just and it says way, way too late or are you still always able to turn things around? Oh no, it definitely has happened. And what, um, what you see, Ryan, is that a lot of business owners, first of all, resist having outside help come in. You know, I'm an owner. I started my business and I think I can solve any problem you throw at my business. And a lot of owners think that as well. And, okay. and, and I can appreciate that. You know, they, for lack of a better term, he or she has muscled their way through every other problem they've ever had. They're entrepreneurs. They, and, and that, but the owner resists that help and you lose that valuable time. And you get in there and your options are either a very quick sale or liquidate. And um, it's a real bitter pill to swallow for an owner. It's, you know, it's a heavy emotional pill. And so, yeah, we definitely have situations where we come in and it's just, you know, this is just so far gone. The balance sheet is so far beat up. And, and probably more importantly, all the constituents are tired. The customers know it. You know, that's a lot of times people think your customers don't know it. They know. The vendors who aren't getting paid are calling them. There's quality problems, um, you know, high return rates or quality problems in manufacturing, short shipments. Um, um, you know, again, vendors not getting paid. The the employees know because they're, they, um, they're, they're getting calls from the vendors. How come I'm not getting paid? Shipments aren't coming in on time. You can't get product. Um, you know, it can be a retail store. You walk in, the shelves look empty. Uh, distributor, you don't have much in the warehouse. You can't get the product in that you need. I mean, everyone knows, so it's no secret. And um, but the uh, there's a denial factor that just to, leaves it to such a to the point where it's just way too late. And at that point, it's either a rapid sale or a liquidation, because no one else, okay. no one else wants to give the owner any more rope to to uh, you know a runway to work with anymore. They've had enough. Okay. So let's flip that around a little bit and talk about the beginning of it. What are some of the initial signs? Like, hey, you know what? I think I might need to look into a turnaround professional. So there's really two, I'm going to say two primary metrics. One, you'll see it in your income statement. You're losing money. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, that's just, you know, profits cure a lot of ills. (laughs) (laughs) They sure do. Yeah. And the the second is going to be just your I'll call it your balance sheet metrics. Your your leverage is getting high. Your um, you know you're starting to miss covenants, and you know it's just your balance sheet starts you know degrading and turning you know turning upside down. Now those are the financial that's the financial scorecard. As I said, you can see other things too. Um, 
I, I've actually given a presentation on what are the non-financial signs that a company might be in trouble. You know, you, you can, I actually can tell often when I pull up to a facility, is there a challenge here or not? Just by the housekeeping of the facility. You can a lot of times tell from the outside. You walk in the lobby in the um, the, la- the last magazines from two years ago. <laughs> you see all these quality awards, you know, customer and vendor recognition awards, and the most recent ones five years old, you know, ten years old. And so you start seeing signs. Um, you know, there's a lot of empty uh, cubicles and desks. Um, there's no one there to greet you. Just, just the, just the overall housekeeping. You can tell a lot before you've looked at a financial statement just from walking inside the company's facility. And would you think the the business owners? There's some good ones that are out there that can just have that hunch, have that just gut where it's like, you know what, our numbers are still kind of there, but there's something that's not right, and I still think I should reach out to a turnaround professional. Yeah, well, and a lot of times what they also think, Ryan, is they can sell their way out of it. And um, the other question you have to really start drilling into, are they selling at a good margin? And, and that's that's the one way most owners think they can muscle their way through, you know, through a, a distress situation. I'll just sell more. I can sell and I can sell. And maybe they can, maybe they can't. But the other question is, is – the margin on that business and the working capital required to sustain that business. And so they, um, they're investing growth in, um, and that growth becomes expensive and they can't afford it. And you'd say about 90% of those business owners, they probably over, uh, evaluate, overestimate the value of their business. Is that an accurate estimate? Yeah, absolutely. Um, <laughs> the um, long time ago, a friend of mine said, "You know, most business owners use the 3M approach to valuing their business." Of course, everyone in the audience was looking confused, and he said, "Yeah, make me a millionaire." <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good. Um, so we've talked a lot about turnaround business and, and, and what you offer and some of the signs that you see and some of the great things you do. But what's one common myth about your profession that you'd like to debunk? I'm sorry. The, can you repeat the last part of that question? Oh, what's one common myth about your profession that you would like to debunk? Oh, the common myth. Thank you. Yeah, we we get tagged a lot when you work for the bank. Because banks refer us in a lot. And the the reality is we work for the client. We work for the company that hires us. But as I said earlier, the bank's the most important vendor. And if that vendor turns off you know, this, that supply chain, we're in trouble. So we, we have to make sure we keep them on. And we have to do it in a way that is in a high integrity way. So we can't, um, you know, blow a lot of smoke at them because sooner or later reality will hit. And if we want to have a long-term sustainable turnaround, we've got to have the bank partner with us. And to do that, we've got to, you know, we've got to be 
transparent, and we have to, um, it, it, and we, and we have to be um, forthright in the information we're sharing, and that's uncomfortable for some people, for some owners, and what we have found is that when everything happens like we say it's going to happen, we get better bank cooperation. When um when things when you kind of put a lot of puff and fluff to get the initial um consent and approvals and cooperation from the bank, and you miss all those numbers, they become less cooperative. So we find mm-hmm. it's really critical to to um, to, uh, to you know just to be able to have a work a good solid working relationship with the bank. But again, we work for the company, not the bank, and a lot of People think otherwise, and and I guess the other aspect, and this is extraordinarily intuitive, is that a bank will a lot of times push a company to hire a consultant when they're losing money, and it, and the company will say, well, we can't afford that now. That's an additional expense, and we should be cutting expenses. And the other aspect of that myth is that. A good turnaround professional will pay for themselves pretty darn quickly. I, I, no, I say just a big aspect of how a consultant's going to pay for themselves. They're going to um, they're going to identify sources of liquidity. They're going to uh, probably find um, opportunities to reduce cost, and it, it, it you know and other and other avenues that can help give a longer runway remember the most important aspect is time and the um and if the um every turnaround consultant who is reasonably capable will find opportunities for either a more liquidity b cost reductions if c potentially revenue opportunities but g lengthen the runway at time all right. So pivoting a little bit, when we let's talk about some current events, uh, specifically the the pandemic that's recently happened. So when a pandemic floors a business, how do you, Scott, or Amherst Partners, help businesses pivot? Sure. So first, we were really busy when the pandemic started with turnaround work. We came into it busy with turnaround work. Most of that was automotive. Um, and manufacturing type of clients. We're based in, uh, we're based outside of Detroit, Michigan. So we do a lot of what I call upper Midwest industrial, as you would expect. And probably the number one thing that we were dealing with in those initial weeks is, is the company essential? Can we operate? Safety, you know, safety, safety, safety. There was a tremendous amount of effort just on making sure that we could operate, A, we can operate, and B, we can operate safely. That was um, first and foremost. Then you had to start addressing how does this impact the operations and cash flow. And fortunately, virtually everyone we worked with applied for and received a PPP loan. And the PPP loans really were a great program and had a very um, – it had the intended consequence that, every, that, that the uh, government was looking for. It helped, it helped a number of companies carry through the, the following six months. So it, um, 
So that was a great, um, a great program. Nice. All right. Let's, uh, now we're going to change even again, but now we're going to pivot this conversation towards technology. So I'll ask you a few questions about tech. And the first one is what is your favorite software and or app to use in business? Favorite app in business. Um, well, the we're heavy. Um, probably the most important tool that we're using is financial modeling and you know managing the cash. So for us, it's really um, you know probably the most important tool. Kinley's is Excel because we're managing cash flow and building fairly sophisticated models to manage cash flow. So that that's probably the number one important um, tool that's that we're using. Um, I would say after that, um, it's just good communication tools. So if there's uh, you know a tool that allows us just to um, to be able to communicate, that becomes extremely important. Obviously, in this pandemic, the Zooms and other virtual meeting platforms have been extremely important. The uh, I had a client that I worked with several years ago that was a big Zoom user, and they were way ahead of ahead of the curve as far as adopting that. They were using it consistently in 2017 and 18, and little did anyone know how much that would become part of our lives today. Because because today we're not always on site like we were pre-pandemic. So, you know, I would say those are the tools that are, that are most important to us. Nice. And if I were to hand you a magic wand, how would you streamline data from your spreadsheets or your forecasting or whatever it might be? How, how would you streamline that or custom create something to help either your business or your clients' businesses? Yes. So it's interesting, right? We come across a real um, plethora of and just wide variety of ways companies operate from QuickBooks to very sophisticated ERP systems. And each one's different. And the thing that we're always looking to do is try to figure out how we can pull the information from their financial systems to ultimately drive a cash flow model. So if we, if I could wave a magic wand, it would be a tool that lets you come in, <laughs> plug and play into the the um, client's accounting system, and click, click, click. You know, we've got. Ah, nice, very nice. And. What is what kind of data do you think is the most important in the turnaround industry, and how does it get mismanaged? The most important data for us is managing liquidity, okay. and and so how it gets mismanaged is a lot of companies think that profitability. If I made a hundred thousand dollars for the month, you know I'm good. Well. If you have bank payments of two hundred thousand dollars, you're not good. <laughs> um, you know, if you have if you stretched out your vendors, 
and you know and now you need to pay them down you're not good if you um bought a lot of inventory and that inventory's declined in value that's a problem and so there's a lot of metrics relative to liquidity that owners don't focus in on and 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 it's the whole working capital cash and cash management working capital management that is um we see where a lot of owners um they just they don't focus on that as well interesting they yeah they think their inventory is good and and yet there's a third of it is not good it's been there a long time and it's obsolete and and not good you know or they've they think they've they've done a great job of of stretching out their trade payables but now the trade their trade vendors don't want to you know don't want to supply them unless they pay cash up front mhm yeah or conversely they're paying you know one of the sources of liquidity when you get involved they're really proud hey i pay off my vendors every 20 days you know every 15 days every 30 days it's like well maybe you can stretch that a little bit to get a little more liquidity to to buy some time to fix the problem interesting oh it's good to know good to know all right so this is the point of the conversation in this podcast where i'm going to direct all the uh, conversation towards you personally in something that I like to call the lightning round. So the lightning round is five questions where there's no such thing as wrong answer. Just the first thing that pops into your head. It's just us getting to know you, Scott Eisenberg, just a little bit better. So are you ready for the lightning round? Yes, sir. All right. The first one is always the same. And that is what is your favorite food? My favorite food? Yep. Your favorite food. Favorite food? uh, Thai food. Really? Okay. Any, any specific dish? Um, a peanut curry dish. Oh, I like it. I like it. Very specific. What do people misunderstand about you? Um, on the outside, I'm a real um, easygoing, very friendly uh, person, but um Deep, but inside, I'm a very driven. I'm a very driven Type A personality. Ah, okay. So, what is your best tip for making the world a better place? Be kind. I like it. What is the best compliment that you've ever received? That I'm an empathetic listener. Oh, I like it. Lastly, or not second to lastly, what does your future hold? You know, that's one of the wonderful things about life. No one really knows. Um, I hope it holds continued good health and good fortune. Um, I believe I'll be helping companies for years to come, and I hope to continue to have a big impact on uh, my community and my profession. So this last question is the most important one in the entire podcast. Lastly, how do people get in touch with you? Oh, that's an easy one, Ryan. I can answer that. Um, my website is www.amherstpartners.com. Amherst is A-M-H-E-R-S-T partners.com, all one word. And um, my uh, emails s eisenberg at amherstpartners.com and i'm and again scott eisenberg and i'm on linkedin and 
um, would be happy to talk to anyone if they had any questions or issues they needed help with. I wanted to discuss. All right. And, and Eisenberg, just for the people that are listening and can't read it, is E-I-S-E-N-B-E-R-G. So thank Correct. You, yep. Thank you, Scott, for, for coming on the show. We appreciate your time and uh, have a great rest of the day. Thank you, Ryan. You as well. Thank you very much. Appreciate it.